good morning once again. So glad to have you here with us today. And let's go ahead and take our, our Bibles this morning. We'll find Philippians chapter 3. We're going to press on in our study of this short little letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And uh, once again, maybe you came in a little bit late, but we are beginning our missions month here at Grace. We set aside the month of October each year to just turn our attention toward missions and foreign missions. And uh, I, I have made a habit for a number of years uh, to preach expositionally through Scripture. Pick a book of the Bible and just take it a paragraph at a time and preach through the, the book. And uh, it's always interesting to me where the Lord brings us at particular moments um, in our cycle of our church life. And I didn't pick this text uh, on purpose this morning, but God did because we landed in a perfect place for Missions Month. And so I preach expositionally so it keeps us looking at Scripture in its context. And also, so when I preach a message and you feel like I was talking to you, I just say this, it was next. It's just next. And I didn't plan it that way, it's just next. And uh, so we're going to press on with what is next this morning as we begin our, our Missions Month. If I had to ask you this morning, if I, if I did ask you this morning to take out a piece of paper and write down off the top of your head the top one, two, or three, no more than three, people who have impacted your life the most, who would it be? Ready, set, go. Now, maybe your, your mind thought of a couple of people. Maybe right away, one or two or three people came to mind, and so I decided to uh, offer three names that came to my mind. Actually, my wife and I were out walking the other day, and we were kind of on a similar topic, and, and uh, two of these three people uh, came up in conversation, and so I wanted to just share them with you, understanding I've had some time to think about it, but it was very hard to limit it to three, uh, but let me share them with you. The first is a lady by the name of Mrs. Shaevsky. Now, if you can spell that, you're doing very well, because I promise you, you will spell it wrong. I met Mrs. Shaevsky when I was a freshman in high school, and she impacted my life to such a degree. She was my English teacher, and she impacted me uh, to the degree that in the ninth grade, I read my first novel. I had never read one before. Uh, but her love of English and her passion for teaching greatly influenced my life. And I would say that I am the reader that I am today because of the impact that Mrs. Shaevsky had on my life. By the time I was a senior, um, actually a junior year, she jumped up and taught junior English. So I had her as a junior. And then in my senior year, I did something radical I had been constantly taking uh, team sports as a gym elective because it was easy. And I'd already had it multiple times. So, like, what else are you going to learn about badminton, okay? I dropped out of that to take journalism because Ms. Shaevsky taught that class. And I wanted her as a teacher again. Greatly influenced my life. The second person on my list is also a teacher, if you're a teacher here this morning, by the way, and you get frustrated with teaching, just remember you are impacting lives often far greater than you ever imagined. The second was a lady by the name of Dr. Morris. I've mentioned her name before. 
One of my regrets in life is that I never went back to thank this lady for the impact that she had on my life. She was my calculus teacher at the University of Delaware. My very first exam in college, I proudly got a 43%. Yes, very impressive. Now in chemistry, by the way, that was a good grade because everybody else failed the test too. But in calculus, I will never forget this moment where the test came back. I probably told this story before, but the test came back and she walked by my desk and she put it face down on on the table in front of me and she said, I will see you Saturday morning in the library at 8 a.m. It wasn't a request, it was a commandment. And that teacher met me every Saturday morning to tutor me on her own time in calculus and in math. And when I decided to go to graduate school, I signed up and took her statistics class when I wanted to get a master's degree in, in, in hospital administration. Impacted my life. I would say I graduated from college. This may be a bold statement, but I believe it. I graduated from college because of Dr. Morris. I would have failed out otherwise, apart from the impact of a teacher. The third person that I would have on my list is Dr. Tim Jordan. He was our pastor when I was in uh, seminary. I met him. He's the one I told the story a few weeks ago about the horrific moment he wore shorts in public and greatly almost destroyed my faith. Um, That man influenced me greatly. I always tell people, if you think I'm a terrible speaker, blame Tim because I model after him. He influenced me as a pastor, as a person, met with me personally when I was just wrestling through what Christianity even was, even in seminary, just what is Christianity really all about? And Tim Jordan greatly impacted my life. Now, my question for you this morning is who has impacted your life, number one, and number two, particularly who's impacting and influencing your life today? But I'm going to talk to you about another side of this coin. Who are you influencing? Who are you impacting? And even more particularly, what are you directing people toward? If people were to look at your life and model their life after you, where would they end up? Where would they go? What would be the end result? You see, the reality is, as human beings, we readily imitate and follow other people. If you don't believe me, just watch the advertising world for just a moment. They capitalize on the human expectation and tendency that all of us are going to model our lives after others. And they use that dynamic to sell you clothes and cars and everything else. And they always choose the most famous people to sell you their products. Because people learn through observing other people. We watch how people act. We watch how they react in certain situations. We watch how they interact with people. We watch how they interact with others and what they're trying to achieve. And so who are you following today? Whose model are you following? Who's influencing you? Professional athletes? Because they're a model of wonderful things. Hollywood stars? took me years to realize that keeping up with the Kardashians was actually like a real thing. 
Who would waste their time doing that? Who cares what the Kardashians or anybody else is doing? Entertainment icons. Do we model ourselves after them? Is that who we're watching and following and building our lives after? If you want to know who you or your children are modeling, just flip through their Instagram sometime. Who are you following? These are the people who are influencing you. And like it or not, we all have been influenced by others. Our opinions, values, passions are at least partially molded to some degree by those that we emulate. But here's the good news. You can choose who you allow the opportunity to influence you and to direct you. Keep this in mind. You must emulate godly people. Yes, we are to follow Christ. That's true. Ultimately, our example is Christ himself, but here's the reality. We need tangible models of what following Christ looks like. I use Tim Jordan as an example, who just retired from ministry, by the way, from vocational ministry. I, I have called him more times than he probably wants to remember talking to me. And things in ministry happen to you for the first time all the time. And so he was always one of the first people. Okay, Tim, this is what I got going on. I won't go into any detail, but there was a couple of occasions when I've told him what was happening in our ministry. He's like, oh, man, it stinks to be you. I don't know what you're going to do. Have fun with that one. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate the help. But we all need those people who influence us and carefully and purposefully select those who we are going to give the opportunity and privilege of influencing our lives. Secondly, we'll get to the text in just a moment, but secondly, I want you to think about this. You must become the kind of person that other people would emulate because you are following Christ so so effectively and so faithfully that when others follow you, they're following Christ. You see, while we are not to be controlled by the opinions of people, if you were here last week, we talked about that. That's true. But that is no excuse to disregard people. In other words, you can't live your life to the point that you erroneously believe that no one is watching you. Even if you think no one's paying attention, they are. Your children, if no one else, they're watching you. In fact, we are to be mindful of the fact that we, under God's grace and under the power of the gospel we are to be a living sacrifice for the cause of christ and so maybe the penetrating question for us this morning is what are people learning from your example when they watch you what are they learning in philippians 3 which is where our text is this morning paul has been describing in the middle part of this text, in verse 14 or so, when he said, I press toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's goal. He said, I am pressing forward, forgetting those things which are behind, not being controlled by those anymore, my successes or my failures, that my goal in life is I am pressing toward the goal of Christ. And once again, Paul is going to give us some very particular details about what this looked like. Now, I would make this assertion this morning. 
If you were to make a list of people who've impacted you today or are, have impacted you in the past, most of them, if not all of them, had a, had a very clear goal-oriented life. Now, Dr. Morris, to be fair, I don't know about her spiritual condition. I never talked to her about it. But I know that Pastor Tim Jordan was a man that was purposefully living with the objective of pleasing Christ. He shared Paul's goal. Imperfectly, of course, like every other pastor, like every other person in life. But as we work toward this single-mindedness, this Christ-likeness, what does it look like? And how do we, by the way, discern who the right mentors are? How do we select them if we're going to do it on purpose? By the way, I want to interject this before we jump into the text. So I was thinking this morning, you know, very often, just thinking through how we impact people in life and, and ministry. Please, this morning, don't hear me saying that you have to be in vocational ministry to influence anybody. In fact, I, I often feel this way, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but I would feel that I had more direct impact in the lives of people in healthcare than I do in ministry. And you may not understand that, but in the day-to-day where the rubber meets the road life, I had interaction with people on a very real level in the healthcare world. So don't overthink, well, I got to go into ministry to influence people, or I have to be a pastor to influence people, or a Christian school teacher, or a deacon, or a Sunday school teacher to influence people. I would say that I influenced a tremendous, no, I'm saying this arrogantly, it's just factual. I influenced numbers of people by working side by side with them in the healthcare industry and allowing them to open their souls to me and to share their deepest struggles in life. Some of them came to Christ as a result. So if we're going to grow grow spiritually, we need right mentors. And so let's look at three characteristics of what a godly mentor looks like. And asking ourselves, are these the kind of people that I'm following, number one? And number two, is this the kind of person you are? So number one, let's jump in here, verses 15 and 16. A godly mentor has a Christ-centered mindset. Notice what Paul says in verse 15. He says, let those of us who are mature, those of us that are spiritually mature, think this way. Think what way? Think of what he just described. Forgetting those things which are behind, pressing toward the mark, that my entire being is about pursuing Christ. Christ likeness. I am pursuing the finish line of a faithful relationship with Christ. And so Paul says, if you are going to be spiritually mature, you have to have this Christ-centered philosophy of life or this Christ-centered mindset. Now notice what Paul says. He says, and if in anything you think otherwise, Paul says, I pray that God will reveal that to you. In other words, if there is something in your mind, in your thinking, in your mindset that is not what he just described in the previous verses, Paul says, I am praying that the Lord will reveal that to you so that you will understand where you need to grow and change and mature. In fact, there's a little bit of an interesting irony in this entire section. Paul had said way back in verse uh, 12 when he says that he was imperfect. He said, look, I, I have not fully accomplished this. 
One of the things, by the way, that I always appreciated about Pastor Tim was he was readily willing to share his failures with people. I had never met a pastor that did that. I had never met a pastor that would admit that they sinned against God. It was like they were these perfect people who were sinless. I had never heard a pastor say, yeah, I stink at that. That was refreshing. And so Paul had been equally blunt when he said, look, I am an imperfect person. And one who is going to be spiritually mature is one that begins by admitting that they're not. How many of you in your Christian life have everything worked out? You have every answer to every question. You know everything there is to know about Christ. And you follow him perfectly every minute of every day. If you raise your hand in your mind or literally you just violated one of the Ten Commandments, you are a liar. None of us have arrived, not one. But Paul says, what sets a mature person aside, a mature person, a person who is worth following and a person who is worth being followed is one who has spiritual maturity. They live each and every day with a mindset that is fixed on Christ and on Christ alone. Now, we understand that Paul is writing to this church of Philippi. One of the things that, at least for me, I quickly forget this because the theme of Philippians is rejoicing and having joy in the Lord, that very often I kind of forget or kind of maybe brush to the side a little too flippantly that Paul is still writing to this group of believers who are facing some false teaching that was taking place in their their midst. And we're going to get to them in a little bit. Paul was still writing to this in the middle of a context, in the midst of a context in which there were people that were influencing these believers away from Christ, away from the gospel. And they were trying to influence them and win a hearing and get them to follow after their leadership. And Paul is going to warn them in a very real direct way in a moment to not follow after them. And so when I am discerning, is this a person that I am going to allow to influence me in my life? The first question I have to ask is, what is their mindset? Are they truly, authentically a person who is committed to Christ? If they are going to spiritually influence me. But here is maybe the harder question. Is this true about you? If you claim to be spiritually mature, ask yourself this probing question. Is your mindset, your focus, your priority centered around Christ? Does that drive every decision that you make? Now, you may object and say, well, Jay, you've already given us illustrations of two people that impacted you. At least one of them was most likely an unbeliever. That's true. It's not to say that an unbeliever can't have, because of God's common grace and because of common uh, revelation, that certainly unbelievers can influence us to some degree. But I would argue not in a spiritual sense, not in a sense that's going to help me grow closer to the Lord and draw me closer to a mindset that revolves around Jesus. So a godly mentor, the first The first characteristic is they have a Christ-centered mindset. The second is they have a Christ-like character. Notice verse 17. Paul says, brothers, join me in imitating me. 
Join in imitating me. I put an extra me in there. Brothers, join in imitating me. Now that is a bold statement. It's not one of arrogance. It's not one of Paul, you know, putting himself on a pedestal or him placing himself above other believers and saying, look, because I am this wonderful, perfect, spiritual person, please follow me. Okay? He's not saying this out of arrogance. But what he is saying is that he, under the inspiration of God and under the work of the Holy Spirit and under all that God had done in his life, Paul is, in a sense, confidently, not arrogantly, confidently saying that I am following Christ. Imperfectly, yes. But he says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now let's pull apart verse 17 for just a moment before we get to the next couple of verses. But he begins again with this vocative brethren. Okay, he's calling them to attention. And he says there are a particular group of people that you are to pay attention to. Keep your eyes on them. ESV translates this word. It is those that is walking in accordance to the scripture. We are commanded to mark those or watch those who are faithful. Those like Paul. Those who were living a life of consistent faithfulness to Christ. We are to become joyful, joint imitators of those who are living in obedience to God. Paul, by the way, had said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he had said, be imitators of me. As I also am of Christ. So as far as Paul was following Christ, he says that he was one, while imperfect, one that we would be willing to be followed because his attitude, orientation, and behavior was that of Christ-likeness. Now, I want you to notice here in this verse, when Paul says that we are to watch them, And keep our eyes on them who are walking according to the example you have in us. One of the curious things about Paul is that the people of Philippi and others would have seen him in a variety of circumstances. They would have seen him having successes. They would have experienced those times that Paul saw revival through his ministry and he saw people coming to Christ. We also know that the people of Philippi would have seen him at his worst. They would have seen him in prison. They would have seen him um, at at his weakest moments. And yet, Paul says, because you have seen me in these various circumstances and situations, you now have been given an example of how we are to follow Christ. Here's the reality. If we say, well, go follow Christ and just follow him. That's true. That is a true statement. But like so many others, you would ask the question, well, what does that look like? And God gives to us as a gift, as an example, those who are walking spiritually mature for us to emulate, for us to follow, for us to learn from. Um, The roles, celebrating 50 years of marriage. We've been married for almost 26 years here soon. And I can look back, and they're not on my list of three, but I can look back to a couple of couples, a couple of married couples that influenced us of what it looks like to have a godly marriage. Husbands, love your wife. What does that look like? I don't know. 
but I need someone to show me. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I was, uh, my wife had cancer a number of years ago. And I'll give you the short version. I, I was really struggling with that for a lot of reasons. And I called a friend of mine and I was getting a little frustrated with Michelle as if being sick and not feeling well was somehow her fault. And I called a friend of mine and his name is Dave and I called him and I explained him. His wife also, by the way, I should add, had also had cancer, much more severe cancer than what my wife had. She had some radical surgery and very, very difficult circumstances. So I called him and he, Dave listened to me uh, for a few minutes, cry and bellyache and throw a pity party and whatever. And at the end of it, he said, Jay, has your wife ever lied to you? I said, no. He said, then why do you think she's lying to you now? If she said she doesn't feel well, she doesn't feel well. Here's what he said. I'm just telling you what he said. He said, shut your mouth, love your wife, and serve her. Click. Loving your wife means stop crying, stop throwing a pity party for yourself, and sacrifice yourself for her benefit. That's what loving Christ loved. And in that moment, I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to do that. I needed flesh and blood to show me and to remind me this is what a loving, godly husband does. And so when Paul is telling us to keep our eyes on those who are spiritually mature, you're looking for those that have lived life a little bit. And they have exemplified spiritual maturity. They have exemplified what it means to follow Christ in a variety of situations. Cancer, sickness, loss of a loved one, whatever it may be. These things help us mature. In verse 18, he flips it around and he says this. Now for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. Paul gets emotional here. And he says, now I want to tell you about another group of people that when I think about them, my heart is broken to the point that I am breaking down in tears. And notice, this isn't a single tear trickling down his cheek. This is breaking down and weeping. Well, who's he weeping over? Why would he have this reaction? Well, he is, in, in my understanding, he is talking about those that claimed to be Christians. They claimed to know Christ. These were those Judaizers that were talking about circumcision being required for salvation. They were talking about works of the law that were required for salvation. And Paul, when he thinks about them, he begins to weep and he begins to, to, to emotionally break down because he's thinking about the fact that these are those that are leading people astray. They are drawing them away from the truth. They are not like the spiritually mature that Paul has described for us, and Paul would be an example for that. These are those that were pulling people away. And notice how he describes them. They were, first of all, enemies of the cross. They may claim to be Christian. They may claim to be a believer. But he says, in reality, they are enemies of the cross. They are enemies of grace. And beware of them and watch them because they are leading you astray. I don't listen to a whole lot of the popular preachers. But there are some that you sit and you listen and you're like, where in the world is the gospel in that? 
but people are following them in droves. But anyone who changes the gospel, Paul says, they are enemies of the cross. They are enemies of grace. Their lifestyle is in opposition to the cross. Their perspective is in opposition to the cross. The cross to them was just a wooden object. It didn't signify the work of Christ, the salvation that we have in Christ. It didn't picture self-denial. It pictured a continuation of the works of the law in Paul's day. It pictured an incomplete act for salvation. So he says, in reality, you need to watch those that are enemies of the cross. In verse 19, he gives us even a little bit more of a description of what... Now, again, don't misunderstand. They are influencing people, lots of them. In Paul's day, they were mentoring plenty of people. The problem is they were leading them away from truth. He says in verse 19, he says, their end is ultimately destruction. So when I'm choosing a mentor, I have to ask myself, what is their mindset? Is the cross a genuine picture of God's mercy and grace to them? Are they committed to the true gospel? And if they're not, I have to understand that their end, their ultimate destiny is destruction in the spiritual sense because they deny the gospel. He describes them in verse 19 a little bit more. Their God is their belly. In other words, their appetites. Not just talking about their stomach necessarily. He's saying they live for the present. This represents those that were given over to a variety of sensual desires. They were self-indulgent and unable to restrain themselves. In fact, this would be those that were practicing and, 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 and pursuing even good things to a sinful degree. He says, mark those that are living for their own selfish desires. He also says that their glory is in their shame. They shamefully longed for self-glory over the glory of God. It's ironic that those who were opposed to the cross should have glory at all, but they are presented as having this glory for their shame. They're promoting what God says is sinful. So these are those that whatever God promotes, they deny it. Whatever God prohibits, they flaunt. So let's just take our little filtering system and plant there for a moment. If I'm going to give someone access to my soul, and I am going to allow them to influence me, whether it's in person, or it's through their writing, or it's through their music, or it's through their entertainment or whatever it may be. I'm going to give my soul to someone who says that what God promotes and God says is good, they say is bad. I'm going to give my soul to someone who promotes something and flaunts something that God says is sinful. You see, Paul says their glory is shameful. It is outright boldface debauchery and ignoring the cross of Calvary. Why would you let them influence you and direct you? The last description of these folks he gives is their minds were on earthly things. This kind of summarizes the previous two. All they think about is the things of this world. They're not pursuing the heavenly prize that Paul described 
They're not interested in that. They're pursuing materialism, fashion, celebrity, fame, fortune. All that this earth tells us we need. Isaiah 5, the prophet said this. He said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Who in your life are you following? You see, we need those who are influencing us to have a right priority and right living before God. Let me give you a third characteristic of a godly believer. The third one is a Christ, they have Christ-centered priorities. Verse 20 and 21, Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In other words, those that influence us the most, impact us the greatest, those that we give a window into our soul are those who have a heavenly mindset. They are living with eternity in mind. They are living with the perspective of what would please God, what would please my heavenly father. And we'll get into these verses possibly in a few weeks when we come back to this text a little bit more particularly. But Paul is saying that those who should influence us the most are those that believe their citizenship is in heaven. They believe, verse 21, that God will transform their body into this glorious body because they are submitted to the power of Christ, and they live each and every day understanding that Christ could return. So in closing, let's, let's kind of bring this, bring this home into our own individual lives for a moment. Impacting people for the cause of Christ, as I mentioned, is not limited to those serving in vocational ministry. It's not limited to them. It's not limited to us who have the privilege of serving Christ vocationally. So as we consider this text, what what should we be thinking about? Well, number one, follow godly examples. I've often said that the Christian life is best best lived when you are wedged in between two groups of people. One, there should be a group of people, one or two, three, whatever the number is, that are more spiritually mature than you. They are, and understand how I say this, they're above you. I don't mean they're better than you. They just have achieved a level of spiritual maturity in their life that surpasses yours. Now, very often, they may be, by the way, you may be more mature in certain areas of the Christian life than they are. That's possible and often the case. But I need people in my life, if I'm honest with myself, where I am spiritually vulnerable, where I am spiritually weak, I am wise to seek out someone who meets these qualifications, these three qualifications we just talked about, and allow them to disciple me and to influence me and to call them on the phone, knowing you might not like what they hear. They might not like what they say to you. They might not like the fact that they're going to challenge your thinking and tell you that you're wrong. But we need those people in our lives. Do you have them? 
But there's also security in knowing that I have people that I am discipling. In other words, that there are people that I am serving as a model for them to follow. There's this very beautiful sense of accountability when I'm accountable to those more spiritually than I am. And I am also more accountable to those that are less spiritual than I am because they're watching me. And I will tell you, as I, as I get older, maybe I'm speaking now as an older man, I don't know. I'm concerned at the flippantness that I see in our current Christian culture of a believer being mature enough to say, follow me because I'm following Christ. And to invest into the lives of someone who is watching you. They are watching you. And it's almost like, I don't care about them. I hope I'm wrong. I pray I'm wrong. But the sense I get is, I'm just going to do me. I'm not going to worry about anybody watching me. And that's their problem if they are. Again, we are not controlled by others, but we can't be insensitive to the fact that you and I are influencing people. Okay, that ought to scare you. That ought to give you a holy hush in your soul and say before God, what in the world are people modeling when they see me? What are they doing when they, if I claim to be a mature believer and I claim to love Christ and I am living in such a way that is contrary to the gospel, contrary to scripture, my dear friend, that ought to cause you to hit the pause button because people are watching you. I, I had a parent tell me, and I've seen this in, in my own kids um, a little bit, but I've had other parents say this, that depending on what teacher they have in school, that they see some of the attributes of their teacher coming out in their children at home, especially true in the elementary school. That ought to cause us to just think about how we're living. Three, we need to discern those who are actually enemies of the cross. In other words, we want to be careful that we are identifying people appropriately. That if someone is claiming to speak truth, but they are not, we need to make sure that we are discerning that. And as we're doing this, we are expecting the Lord's return and keeping that on the forefront of our thinking and the forefront of our minds. So as we close this morning, are you following godly mentors? Do you have godly influences in your life that are mentoring you, discipling you, encouraging you, challenging you? And then are you, right now, where you sit, are you a person worth following? Could you say with the Apostle Paul, hey, why don't you guys follow me? Not because I'm perfect, but because I'm following relentlessly Christ. That's what my heart beats about. I'm, I'm going to do it imperfectly, but follow me. That's a bold statement, isn't it? You know, one of the things I love about Missions Month is the fact that we have opportunity to allow some imperfect people to share with you what God has done in their life to lead them to the place that they would follow Christ <clears throat> into foreign missions. We celebrate a lots of celebrities in our lives. Football players, 
baseball players, basketball players, Hollywood elites, politicians, whatever. But the real heroes are those who are pursuing Christ no matter the cost. And sometimes that leads us into missions. Sometimes it leads us into vocational ministry. Sometimes it leads us to just having a bold voice where I am now for the cause of the gospel. Seeking to be different. Seeking to be like Christ. Not for my glory, but for his, so that I can say with God-centered confidence, follow me, imitate me, because I'm following him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning just for these verses of scripture that challenge my soul, and I hope everyone else is here today. Lord, that we would identify those in our lives that can help us grow and change and mature us, challenge us where we need it. But Lord, that we would also be like like the Apostle Paul and boldly call people to follow us, not because we're perfect and not because we're sinless, but because we are trying to be like Christ. And so, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the opportunities that are all around us for people to follow and for people to look to. Help us to be a flesh and blood example of what it means to follow Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use these verses in each one of our lives to mature us, to grow us, keep us focused on what's important. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. You have a wonderful day.